0: Good morning, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, Welcome to uh, Hilton Head Island Community Church. For those of you who this may be your first time, uh, for those of you who are here in the house, really glad that uh, you are here today. Uh, Really glad that you guys have joined in for this, really this first, it's not our first Sunday of the year, but our first Sunday with a new message series and kind of our first Sunday, ministry Sunday of the year. Really glad that you guys are here. Thank you for those of you who are joining us in your house today or wherever or whenever you guys are joining online, really glad that you have joined in as well today. A few things I just want you to know about, Um, one is is that the verses today will all be on the screen, Um, but I want to encourage you to jump on the app if you have it, if you don't have it, you can download it, um, to access notes and verses because you'll be able to access the notes and the verses there on the app so that you all can follow along. I also want to let you know that for some of you, you may want to kind of go a little bit deeper into what we talk about Sunday and every single week during the school year on Wednesdays, we have an environment where you can do that, and it's called Roots. We have this thing that we call Wednesday Night Live, and uh, we have a lot going on in the life of our church. Student ministry or youth group meets. Uh, We have a Spanish-speaking group that meets over in the community center, women's groups that meet over in the community center, and then a group called Roots, uh, and they take a deeper dive into what we talk about Sunday and have discussion around it. It's fantastic. I want to encourage you to be there. And then lastly, if you want to pray with someone or talk to someone at the end of today's service, I just want to encourage you to come down here and find me or one of our Stevens ministers down here by the cross, uh, in case you want to talk with someone or pray with someone. Now, today we're kicking off this brand new series called God Doesn't Need Anything. God Doesn't Need Anything, kind of a curious title to a message series, right? Some of you are like, okay, I know that that's true, it may be true, maybe you're going to tell us how it's true, but it's still kind of a, a curious, different title to a message series, and that's kind of the whole point is we want to make you think about this. We want to cause your mind to be stirred and your hearts to be stirred on an issue that I think the church has maybe, and Christians, have really struggled with for most of the life of the church. And in the course of Christian history, church history, I think that we've maybe struggled with really, truly understanding that God doesn't need anything and so over the course of these next few weeks we're going to be focused on this and and, and i'm just going to tell you kind of give you like advanced warning that uh, or, or advanced notice i guess not warning you don't need a warning for this but advanced notice that like today is a message where we're going to kind of lay a foundation but it's not just an overview for the next four weeks it's it's really a theological foundation And I believe that it needs to be laid, and I I believe that it's something that needs to be discussed, and I believe that it's something that we need to grapple with, our understanding about God, because sometimes the misunderstanding of the thing that we're going to talk about today affects so many different areas of our lives. Over the next three weeks after today, we're going to talk about how this affects our lives. Um, But here's the thing, church. I I just want to talk about this for a moment. What we believe about God affects how we live and how we serve. Are you with me? Like what we believe about God does affect the way in which we approach our lives. And that's why theology, theology is the belief about God, what we believe about God. That's why theology is so incredibly important. It's important for us to understand and to know and to understand these biblical premises so that we can go then apply it to our lives. I'll often mentor some young communicators and I'll say, um, don't untie a theological bow that you can't or you're not prepared to tie back up, right? Because sometimes we can do more damage In focusing on these things if we're not prepared to really have the discussion about things but this one affects all of our lives i think it affects how we live our lives and this theological statement that we're going to kind of dive into today i think a misunderstanding on this probably affects the church in more ways than we can even see and understand and misunderstandings do that don't they misunderstandings cause confusions, confusion in our lives, don't they? Married couples, am I right? If you're in a relationship with someone, a misunderstanding can cause massive confusion and it can lead to detrimental results. Am I right, married couples? All right, If you're in a relationship or have ever been in a relationship, you, you know this to be true. But in our lives, in our spiritual lives, and in our service lives, and in the way that we live our lives, I think that we have a misunderstanding in the church that is detrimental. And today is just to kind of like walk through and talk through this one particular misunderstanding as the premise of what we're going to be talking about these next few weeks. And here's the misunderstanding that I want to begin with today there's a misunderstanding of of what we believe about God in light of who he is and who we are, okay? So misunderstandings of who we are in light of who God is, it produces in our world and in our lives extreme views of our role and our purpose and our mission in God's kingdom. And so that's kind of of the the point that we are going to jump off from over these next few weeks is this idea that we have a misunderstanding of who we are in light of who God is. And what that does is it pushes people in their spiritual lives to one extreme or the other. The first extreme is this. If we don't properly understand who we are in light of who God is, what happens is as often we will say that God needs me. That the church is doomed without me and God's whole kingdom is going to come unraveled if I don't serve for him and if I don't give to him and if I don't use my abilities and my time for him. And so it produces this idea in our life and in our world that somehow that God needs me. And it really... The implication there is, is that really God doesn't need anyone or anything else. And it produces a kind of a, a haughty, filled with pride view of, of who we are as Christians that somehow in some way. Now listen, the Bible says, Stephanie mentioned it earlier, that we were formed by God. We're going to talk about that in a moment. We were formed by God for a unique purpose. But a unique purpose for each one of you and for me and for us That new unique purpose doesn't mean that God needs us, because I don't believe that God needs anything. See, in the church, this produces a very, very, very small group of prideful people that just kind of like think that the church is just going to be moving forward because of their gifts and their gifts only. I hope this isn't hitting too close to home for any of you. And I'm, it might, and I guess that's okay. That's, I guess it's part of my job. But it does produce this misunderstanding of who we are in light of who God is. It produces another extreme, and that is a whole other extreme, and that is is that I don't have... Anything that's worthy of God, and there are other people that can do the job, give the money, and, and produce the results for God and his kingdom. And so God needs someone other than me is the result of us misunderstanding who we are in light of who God is. And so therefore, we have a small group. Now, here, here's the thing. The, the group of people that believe that God needs them are, are, is the group that is serving and giving and loving and, and the problem is, is that there are very few of those, but there are more of this, this other that think, God can't use me. That I don't have what it takes. That I don't have the right gifts, I don't have the right ability, I don't have all, all, the, the money that's needed. And so I'm just going to step back in my spiritual life And I'm going to let everyone else lead, and I'm going to let everyone else serve, and I'm going to let everyone else give. And and God doesn't need my time. He needs someone else. And so you see an improper misunderstanding or a misunderstanding of this idea of who we are in light of who God is It produces this extreme view. And what we're left with in the church today is a very, very small group of people that are doing a very, very, very large part of the work. You ever heard of the pretto principle? That 20% of the people contribute, 80% of the results? Some of you are like, you just described my job, Todd. Todd. (laughs) And <laughs> I'm in the 20%. <laughs> 20% of the people give 80% of the time. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. 20% of the people give 80% of their abilities. And so there's this terrible imbalance in the church, and I believe it all stems from the fact that we don't understand these two major theological statements about who God is and I'm going to dive right into the first one. The first one is that God is the creator of all things. Church, Christ follower, I want you to hear that. That is an important statement. We can't just breeze by this statement. We can't just let this go. We have to stop here and talk about how important it is that God is the creator Of all things. That's an important theological foundational principle. That I think in our modern day and age. When we can create just about anything. Do you realize that you can create just about anything from nearly nothing nowadays right? 3D printing. (laughs) I don't understand the technology behind that. But it's kind of scary if you ask me. (laughs) It's very scary if you ask me. In our day and age where if you can think it, you can create it, we've lost the understanding of this theological foundational statement that God is the creator of all things. In Acts chapter 17, you can turn there or you can find it in, in, on your device. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul finds himself in Athens. And in Athens, there were a couple things that, I, I don't know if you've been to Athens or not, I've never been to Athens. Uh, I, I want to go one day, I hope to, to go to, to that part of the world and see that part of the world. But in Athens, in that day and age, there was this transition that was going on in Athens The the Greek culture of that day was beginning to fade and the Romans had taken control of Athens and the Roman culture was beginning to be the culture of the day, the rise of the Roman Empire and so on and so forth. And Paul found himself at the Ergopagus and he was there in this place in Athens that maybe some of you have visited. And it's a place where the Greeks would hold supreme court. It's where they would get together and they would talk about government and politics and philosophy and religion. And Paul is walking around this place that's on the outskirts of the town of the city in that day and age. It was this hill that was looking over all of Athens and it had this outcropping of rocks. And I kind of get the feeling that they would meet there kind of underneath the cover of the shade in the trees that existed. You can see pictures of it today. And they would meet there and they would discuss some of the most important things of life. And Paul found himself in Athens, and Acts chapter 17 is a fascinating uh, uh, record of what Paul was doing. And Acts chapter 17 gives us probably one of the greatest examples of how we can share our faith to people who are unbelievers. Because in Acts chapter 17, Paul finds himself first in the temple... And he begins to hear what the, the Jewish people are saying in their worship and what some of the Gentiles, by the way, says that they were together worshiping, which is really interesting, right? The Jews and the Gentiles. And so he would hear their worship and he would engage them in discussion. And then he went into the market, which was nearby, uh, and he would, uh, he would uh, hear some of the Epicureans and the Stoics talking about what they believe and he would engage them. And so the people that were with Paul, they said, you need to go to this place that was now called Mars Hill because the Romans controlled it, because your thought and what you're saying about God is so incredibly different and unique. They need to hear this in the place where thought for the whole world was beginning to be turned out. And so Paul is walking through this place that was now renamed Mars Hill in, ...in ancient Greece, and he walked around and he saw all the shrines that they had to all of their gods... ...and he came across something so incredibly interesting. They had a shrine to the unknown god. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. They had all of these shrines to all of their small g gods... ...and Paul evidently didn't say anything about those. But he gets to a shrine that is for the unknown god... And he begins to use that to talk to them about the known God, our God, Jehovah. And he begins to talk to them and tell them that this is the true God and that our God can be known. By the way, I think that we in our culture and in our day and age, we really ought to have like a lot of people serve the unknown God. We probably fall into that trap too. Because here's what you and I do. If we have a God that's unknown, then we can make our God up and our God can do what we want our God to do. Not the other way around. You see where I'm going with this? And so Paul recognized that and he said, no, man, this is the the God, the real God, the one true God is known. And he talks about what an amazing creator of all things God is. Verse 24 of Acts 17 Says the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And so Paul's observation is that God, the one true God, is a God who can be known, and he made everything. He established everything. He is Lord over everything. He cannot be contained. He cannot be made. He doesn't need anything because he is the creator. Of all things. This is important, important, important to our theology. Because if we don't understand that God created all things, then we might as well make up things that we want God to do and we want God to make. And in doing that, we find ourselves in this place of being incredibly dissatisfied Christ followers with God himself. And when we get back to that that point that I even talked about at Christmas this year that God is the creator of all things, that centers us, that gives us a foundation of what we are to believe that our God is the creator of all things. Genesis 1:1, he says in the beginning God created so on and so forth. In the beginning God created he created he created he created And so, boy, that levels the playing field, doesn't it, with us? That everything that you are, all that you've accumulated, all that you've accomplished, all that we have done is a gift from the God of creation. And if we really believe that, church, it'll change so much how we live, how we behave, how we think, and how we serve. The second foundational thing that I think we need to understand is that not only is God the creator of all things, but God is the provider of all things. We just sang about Jehovah Jireh, didn't we? One of my favorite songs. One of my favorite names for God. You know, there are, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of names for God. And Jehovah Jireh is the name that was given to God by Abraham. He's with Isaac. He is up on, on the mountain. They're going on this journey. And, and God gives him instructions that he is supposed to, to provide a sacrifice. And Isaac is going to be the sacrifice. And we don't understand this passage at all. But we understand that a father, any father, who in any way understood that they were supposed to sacrifice their son would be praying on the whole journey God, please provide, please provide, please provide. And he believed it. In verse 8 of Genesis chapter 22, Isaac's kind of like, hey, dad, where's the sacrificial lamb that we're supposed to sacrifice up on this mountain on this journey that we've taken? Where's, where's the lamb? Where's the goat? Where's the animal that needs to be sacrificed? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamp for a burnt offering, my son. So they went away, both of them together. And you get to verse 14. By, by the time we get to verse 14, Abraham has, has lifted his sword to sacrifice his own son. And an angel provides a lamb. God Provided. And in verse 14, Abraham calls the place that he was standing, the Lord will provide Jehovah-Jireh. That's where the name comes from. As it is said to this day, that God, on the mount of, this, of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so if we can understand The two things that God is the creator of all things and that God has provided all things. I want you to think of the good things in your life for a moment. It's only the second week of 2023. Hopefully you haven't gone to the negative things yet, all right? So hopefully this exercise should be fairly easy at the beginning of a new year. I want you to think of all the great things that he has done for you in the past. He's given you your life. He's given you your breath. He's provided a job. He's given you your family. Provided a great place for you to live. A national championship for you to celebrate. Yes. (laughs) There I said it. (laughs) Everyone last week was like, why didn't you talk about Georgia? I was like, it's communion, man. Our focus is on God, all right? So anyway. He's provided friends family. He has given you breath in your lungs. And since God is the creator of all things, and since he is the provider of all things, we have to believe then that God doesn't need anything. And yet, he has used members of the church, his people, for over two Thousand years to bring about his kingdom and to do his work. I want you to hear that again. For over 2,000 years, although God doesn't need anything, he has used people like you and like me to accomplish his purpose in this world. And that is because. Even though God does not need anything, you know what he wants? He has a desire for us to respond to the fact that he is the creator of all things and he is the provider of all things. He desires for you and I to respond to that. When the Apostle Paul is in the Areopagus there in Athens, he essentially says there in Mars Hill, he says, you know what? I want to let you know what the response is to the fact that God is the creator of all things. And in verses 27, in the first part of verse 28, he says it. He says, all of these things are true, that they should seek. They, by the way, are people far from God and people close to God. It's you and me. It's all of us. That they should seek God. These ones who want an unknown God, that they should seek God. And they should perhaps feel their way towards him, and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of you. Before we go to this last verse, let that sink in for a moment. But the Apostle Paul, speaking to people who are talking about the greatest philosophies in the world, on the earth, Religion, they were talking about philosophy, religion, politics, law. They were discussing the important things of the day. He says to them, he, God, is not far from each one of you. And perhaps today, that was the message that you needed to hear. That God is not far from you. Maybe you feel like God's far from you. Maybe you feel like because of the way that your life has gone, he's far from you. I want you to know, he's a message within the message, okay? This part right here, he is not far from you. Maybe you needed to hear that today. Verse 28, Paul says, for in him we, say it with me, we live. I want you to say it a little better this time, all right? For in him we live, and we, and we have our being. And Paul is saying that that is everything. The fact that God is the creator of all things is a foundational truth that establishes who we are in light of who he is. The fact that Abraham understood that God would provide, lay down a foundation that he understood who God was or he is in light of who God is, and that will church that will Christ follower effect how we live and how we breathe and how we have our being. It affects everything. It affects how we see the things that we have accumulated. It affects how we see the abilities that we have. And it affects how we view our days on this earth. It affects everything. And God doesn't need any of it. But He loves you and me enough that He wants us to join in with Him in this great thing called redemption. In this amazing work that we call the church. The Apostle Paul and a whole nother. Book letter to the church in Corinth in 1st Corinthians 3 verse 9 he says we for we are God's fellow workers you are God's field God's building and so if we can get to the point where we truly change our misunderstanding of who we are in light of who God is And if we truly will embrace the fact that he is the creator of all things and he is the provider of all things, it will change what we do, how we live, and how we view our role in his kingdom work. The fact, church, that only 20% of the average church contributes to a church is probably the number one indicator that we have to know that we misunderstand this in the church. We don't get it, that we've missed it. I, I mentioned last week, kind of towards the end of the message that, that it takes a, a whole bunch of people to be a part. It takes 80 to 100 different volunteers, individual volunteers, to be a part of what we as a church are striving to do for God, understanding that he doesn't need us, but he desires for us to co-labor with him. We talked about that. I want to encourage you to, to apply today's message by being here with us next Sunday right after the service to talk about how you can get involved in the Sunday service teams and be a part of that. Not because he needs you and what you have. Because he desires for you to be a part of it. I think we miss the impact of what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 3.9. He could redeem the world in any different way than, than he is redeeming the world. His message, the gospel message, could be carried out into the ends of the earth in so many different ways. Because God is God. He's the creator of all things. He's the provider of all things. And he doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. But you know what? He desires, he wants for you to come alongside him and to join with him in the work of the gospel. He desires for us to co-labor with him for his kingdom and for his church. I don't know why this is the case when I was a little boy I always admired my father because he kept our yard really nice and he would go out and he would cut the grass and he'd work out in our yard and he'd make it look amazing and there was something that I admired about that I don't think it happens anymore I don't think Young kids admire that their dads are doing yard work anymore. It doesn't happen. I see all the kids are like shaking their heads. No, no, it's not. I get you. I feel you. But I remember the first time when he said, "Hey, uh, why don't you come out? I'm going to teach you how to mow the lawn." I was like, "Wow, I, I get I get to run the lawnmower." Little did I know. <laughs> it was in store for me. <laughs> Little did I know that years later I'd be handing it off to my son, all right? But in that moment, I remember we, li- we were living in Clearwater, Florida. We have pictures of me and my dad working in the yard together. And I remember, I didn't know how to express this at the time, but I remember how incredibly honored I was. Proud. that He invited me out there. Church, that's what he's doing. That's what God is doing with us. He's saying, hey, come along. Be a part. I don't need you. But I want you. Because I love you. I want you to see what it's like to be a part of the greatest work. A work that has never stopped. And it will continue until he comes again. Father. We thank you for being the God that created it all. And for right now in this moment, we just want to pause. We just want to thank you for being the great creator. Thank you, Father, that when we view what we view out there in the world, when we see what we see, the beauty of your creation the abundance around us. Father, the the vast sky and the sea and the earth and everything that's in it, Father, we thank you for being the creator of everything. We recognize that you are not an unknown God. We recognize that you are a God that wants to be known. As Paul said, you're You're much nearer than we think. Thank you. Thank you also for being the great provider of all things. For being Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. And oh, Father, let us not become discontent with what we have, but let us recognize that you have given us all things. You have given us everything. And Father, I pray that we as your people, we as your church, we as individuals, we collectively would understand that because you are the great creator and because you are the amazing Jehovah-Direh, the great provider, because of that and because of that, Father, we live and breathe to serve you with our lives. And thank you for inviting us in. Thank you, God, for inviting us in to that kingdom work, the gospel spread. Father, I pray that each one of us would, over the course of these next few weeks, really take time to evaluate in light of the fact that you are the great creator and you are the great provider. What do I do? How do I respond? What do I give? And Father, help us to have open hands and open hearts to hear from you, to receive what you have to say, and that we would follow in obedience to what you tell us. In Jesus' name, I pray.